Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 311, which I kind of want to say 311, like 911, uh, is a gal that has come on the show several times before and just brought hope and help. It is fantastic counselor and author and speaker, Sissy Goff. You are not alone. And as a mom, your gut is your superpower. You are so intuitive and trust your gut on what's going on with your kids and and have a few people that you trust a lot that you can talk to. I mean, that's definitely a piece of it is to have a small trusted few, but definitely talk about it because anxiety left untreated only gets worse. And so if we don't do anything about it, it's going to get worse. And what we're seeing, what we've always seen, but I think I'm seeing so much more in the pandemic is that it's spilling over into depression. Sissy Goff is a licensed professional counselor and director of children and adolescents over at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. But thanks to the internet, we can use her wisdom and learn from her today. She's going to start off by helping us with kids who are experiencing a lot of complex emotions because of the pandemic, whether your kids have been in person school, are still doing distance learning or homeschooled. This has impacted them. And I think particularly the ages of early adolescence, they don't maybe have words for it. So she's going to help guide us in that. She also has a new book coming out February 2nd for girls, teen girls dealing with anxiety. And so she has hope for us. She has a message of bravery to get the help that you need. And just another reminder that if you are walking through that, if that is your story, that you are not the only one. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Sissy, welcome back to the Don't Mama Love podcast. Oh, I'm so glad to get to be with you. Man, I was looking back to see when you came on the show so that I could tell people. And you were first on in 2016. What? Episode 141 on raising girls. Wow. Right? That was before we were really friends. I know. I was just thrilled to finally book this famous Sissy Goff. Well, we were thrilled to be on your famous podcast. And I'm going to interrupt you and say, David and I still say on record that when we, you know, we used to travel and speak in places, but when we travel, more people come up to our book table about your podcast than anything else. You're so sweet. Well, it's true. You're making such a difference. Well, I love sharing amazing people. And you also came on with David to talk about emotional milestones. If y'all need help on that, episode 160. And then we did like a little bonus because you released an amazing resource, Raising Worry-Free Girls to Help Parents. And that was in 2019, August. We had no idea. We had no idea. (laughs) And praise Jesus, you followed the prompting to write that book and then a guide for girls, younger girls to walk through. Uh, anxiety and worry. And now you have a new one for teen girls that's kind of an interactive workbook guide to help them beat worry and anxiety called Brave. That came out or comes out February 2nd. Right. That's my dad's birthday. Groundhog's Day. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. So we are going to talk about anxiety and girls, but I 
also, since I have you and you're so amazing and y'all frontline workers include mental health workers, can we please pray a lot for them? You are interacting with parents of kids walking through this pandemic. Can you kind of give advice or point us in the right direction for those of us with kids the ages that are um, aware enough that something's going on? So I kind of see that as a little older than five. To me, kids under five, their whole world is home, so not a lot. Maybe shifted, maybe they saw dad more or mom was around more. Um, And then I feel like my older boys, they still had a digital connection, whether it was through gaming or texting or whatever it was. But my, my one who's around eight just saw a lot of angry outbursts and just behaviors and responses that didn't match with his personality or who he's been. Have you noticed that that little demographic has struggled? I mean, oh, we all have. We all have. But Sure. But yes, I think that would be, I mean, that demographic and adolescents are probably the two that have struggled the most. And I, I could do a timeline about the emotional health of kids and what I've seen through the pandemic. Because in the beginning, I think that age group was doing better as well as the younger ones because they were home. And I feel like we all were so... I mean, we were devastated at the beginning of the pandemic and scared, but we were also kind of inspired and we were coming together and we were doing all these creative things to build into families. And then we all got tired and Zoom fatigue and pandemic fatigue and all of that. And so I think at that point, kids started struggling a lot more. And I think, honestly, we probably stopped communicating with them as much because I think we were so intentional in the beginning about talking through not only their questions about what was going on, but how they were doing emotionally. And then I think we're all in survival mode now. And so we're not doing as much of that. So yes. And you know, there's so many psychologists and therapists and all those kind of people like me that talk about how all behavior from children is communication, right? Behavior is always communication. And so to think about, it's not just that they're in a bad mood or they're wanting to act out because they're defiant, although that happens every once But most of the time, there's something (laughs) deeper going on with kids. And so we always want to think about how to drill down and figure out what is really going on in a deeper place inside of them. So what tool could a mom use or a parent use to kind of facilitate that conversation if she's noticing behaviors that are communicating? Well, I mean, you know, we've talked about this a million times, but I think every home needs a feelings chart. (laughs) Yes, yes. And you all have that on your website? Yes, we do. Raisingboysandgirls.com. Okay. We have one. Um, okay. And I think the thing is when they're acting out, especially if you have a child who's angry, which like all behavior is communication, anger is a secondary emotion. So again, there's always something underneath it. And often it's anxiety, especially for girls. Now, David would say, I can't remember what AG says. You probably know this better than I do, Heather, but that all primary emotions for boys at a certain age are funneled into anger. and mm-hmm. so. For all of them, there's more happening underneath, like we said. And so I think in the moment, it is good to give them a space to calm down. You know, if you've created one of those calm corners or whatever in your house, send them to that place. Give them some time. Don't engage with them when they're exacerbated in their emotions. So give them space to process it. And that may include time out or something like that. Even if they're emotional, they still need boundaries because boundaries make kids feel more secure. So Give and not space. this negative, like you go to your room and settle no. down, but like an invitation, like yes, 
I can tell you're feeling something right now. I am too. We're all going to take a few minutes and then yeah. separate, let them process it. And you know, whatever space you create, have coping skills, tools there that they can do to process what's going on and then come back together. And it may be that they don't do anything other than jump on a trampoline or I have a lot of families leave my office and I say, go straight to U-Haul and buy those big rolls of bubble wrap so they can go <laughs> jump on it in the garage. You know, anything to get out some of the emotion and then come back together, grab your feelings chart with those age of kids. Or, I mean, especially if it's a boy, you know, he typically needs to move, but get outside, go for a walk and say, let's talk about what was going on. And I heard somebody say one time, there's always something underneath anger. What, a, what Pick three other emotions you might have been feeling in that moment. Mm. And I think in terms of communication too, I think we always need to, when there's a lot going on culturally, which obviously in a million ways we have a lot going on right now, yeah. you go to kids and say, tell me what you're hearing because it's always good to let them lead the conversation because if they're in school or they're on, I mean, if they're interacting with other kids, you never know what they're hearing at that age. Right. They interpret all kinds of things wacky. And so mm -hmm. tell me what you're hearing about what's going on culturally, or what are you hearing about the pandemic? What are you feeling about the pandemic? What questions do you want to have? And then talk through it with them. But I think we need to be regularly, I would say weekly having conversations like that. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, so much of what research says is that our attunement with kids is one of the best predictors of self-regulation. Hmm. And so we need to make sure with every child, we're sitting down for at least 10 minutes a day with them on the floor if possible, looking them in the eye, having conversation playing something where we're not doing anything else. We don't have our phone anywhere near us, but that we're really engaging with them because I think that just settles their hearts in really profound ways. Teenagers don't want to look you in the eye, so that's a whole other thing. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But I think that, you know, in my case, and I know several listeners have more than one child, I think the youngest, unless they're a newborn or, you know, toddling around and getting into things, they often, at least in our home right now, are not getting the attunement that maybe an older child did at that age. Exactly. They're just <laughs> like fending for themselves. Entertain yourself right now. Right. Um, yeah. Or, or I think even just exhausted. Like I've noticed bedtimes get all messed up with the pandemic and staying up way later than we were. Routines get out of sorts. So yeah, there's a lot just physically going on. But what if in that processing with them, and this could play even into our conversation about teen girls and girls with worry and anxiety, if they share that emotion, I'm really afraid of X, Y, and Z or, or whatever the emotion is, how do we acknowledge it, but then lead them to not be led by emotion mm. where I think where we maybe have swung, like maybe our grandparents never talked about their emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, or even our parents, like yeah. now it's like all about your emotions, but I, you know, I'm a, I'm an emoter. I love emotions, but I get myself in trouble if I let them be the boss. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah. That you're aware of that because that means you're helping your children learn that too. And so that's probably step one is us being aware ourselves of that whole adage of like, who's driving the train because yeah. you don't you want your emotions to be the caboose, not the engine. And so us looking at that in ourselves, but I think, I mean, I think our number one response as grownups when kids share their emotions, especially if they're vulnerable or harder emotions, is to fix it. 
Mm, we often just want to do that. Yeah. Say, yeah, from kids of all ages over the almost 30 years I've been counseling, the number one complaint about their parents is that their parents try to fix it. Hmm. And so I think we've got to be really aware of always listening first and reflecting back their feelings, not correcting their feelings, but stepping in with, yeah, that sounds really hard or, oh, I can't, I can't, I mean, because really, can you imagine growing up right no. now uh-uh. no, thank to you. say, I can't imagine what it's like to be 10 or 16 or 17 right now. It's got to be so hard. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, any child's going to feel affirmed and validated if we sit with them in it first and ask more questions. And, and I'm going to say this because I have this conversation all the time in my office and you know, I know you and I've talked about the Enneagram. Yes. And I could call out certain numbers, but I won't. But <laughs> there are harder numbers, mine being one of them. There are harder numbers for adults that are these numbers to sit with kids in those emotional places. Mm-hmm. And there are kids who are certain numbers that need you to sit with them longer. And so I'll, I say to parents all the time, I want you to sit and listen and just reflect back until you're kind of miserable. <laughs> like until you feel really uncomfortable and think, oh, I want to fix this for them. Because I think yeah. sometimes we feel like one sentence back, like, oh, that's hard. And then we can move to whatever exhorting we want to give them or, yeah, or move them. on from it. Or yeah, yeah like exactly. that's great. We dealt with it. Now what? <laughs> yeah. But I think especially for someone who's uncomfortable with emotion yourself, you got to sit with them a little bit longer because if we don't, they're just going to get bigger until we hear them or they're going to go around. Yeah. I think that is definitely something hopefully we have learned yeah. is that emotions show up in our bodies, whether we get ill or, we lash out in anger because it is secondary or something. So acknowledging it, it kind of quiets that emotion from coming out in unhealthy ways. Yes. And it builds connection and trust between the two of you, which is so important. So we want to start there and then we want to move forward. And I think, again, our tendency is to try and lead it. Like, I don't want you to feel sad. Here's what you should do. Or that person's being unkind to you or, it's really not as bad as you think it is, you know, those diminishing. Kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so instead to say, you know, we've talked about this before too, but like, tell me what you feel like would help. Or this is, you know, one of the reasons that kids do get anxious is when they feel like they have no control. And that's when we see other really unhealthy coping strategies crop up, which is why this is a side note, but I'm seeing in my individual counseling, I don't know what big picture the statistics are, but in my work daily, I'm seeing more eating disorders than I've seen in 15 years. Interesting. Because I think in the pandemic, not only are we all at home and eating more, kids included, but we don't have any control. And so adolescents that feel that are clamping back down on food because it's one thing they can do. So in the midst of there being so much in our world that's out of control, to go back with kids to, okay, it feels really out of control. That's so hard. Tell me one thing that you feel like you can control right now. Hmm. You can't control things outside of you, but you can control things with you. And, and as much as possible within you, you can still choose to do something kind for somebody else, or you can choose to get up and go for a walk with the dog, or you can, you know, let's talk about choices you have that are good, healthy choices. So Asking questions, helping them get back to more of a place of thinking through what they can control, but always to have them lead that rather than us leading them into it. 
I'm so thankful that I can chat with Sissy and bring her wisdom to y'all because of sponsors like Uncommon Goods. I remember getting the Uncommon Goods catalog, old school I know, but I loved flipping through it and all the unique gifts. Particularly when you think about holidays like Valentine's Day, maybe y'all have fallen into ruts. Bruce and I have been married almost 22 years, and so it can sometimes be hard to think of something unique to give your spouse. Well, Uncommon Goods, they are selling products, high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. gifts that come from a lot of artists and small independent businesses, so you can feel good about that. But I've loved... Like if you know that your husband is a sports fan, they have really unique sports gifts. Maybe uh, he loves a certain baseball team and you can get him a map of that baseball stadium or glasses with that baseball stadium, different things, uh, sports related. Bruce loves washing his feet every day. So I went on Uncommon Goods and don't tell him, but I got him something to wash his feet more easily. I know it's random, but I think he'll really like it. If you want to go check it out, I have a deal for you. Get 15% off your Valentine's Day gift if you go to uncommongoods.com slash DMA. That's uncommongoods.com slash DMA for 15% off. Now, remember, this is an adult site. This is not a Christian site. You guys are going to you're going to be wise and discerning about what you pick on there. But I do think you're going to find something fun and unique for your spouse or even maybe something you want for yourself. So go to uncommongoods.com/dma and get that 15% off. I think that's so fantastic and super helpful and I know for me as a mom the place where I feel anxiety or stress is not knowing when I'm supposed to do something or then feeling guilty. Oh my gosh, I should have done something six months ago. Or am I supposed to let them struggle through this? What is my role? And you said in this book that often anxiety goes untreated for up to two years. When do we know that this goes beyond just like a daily check-in or an attunement or a talking through emotions as a family to I need some outside help or even I need to get this book or how does a parent know that it's beyond worry and it's an actual anxiety disorder? Well, I mean, a couple of things I would say to watch for. One is like you talked about our bodies. Watch watch to see how many physical complaints they're having, having especially with younger ones older ones too, but I think younger ones, a lot of times because they don't have words, we're going to see it that way. Like what would those look like? Like what kind of tummy aches, headaches, um, just complaints that are very recurrent. So something they're coming back to over and over and over. And then with older ones withdrawing, I think the more they're withdrawing, which is hard right now, because especially for kids who are doing remote learning, I mean, they're just at home a lot. Well, and for the, the natural introverts, who's siblings are very loud and they're just looking for a break from yeah. the noise. Yeah. That's yeah. Tricky. And so sometimes that means you getting them outside and going for a walk, just you yeah. and them. But regardless, be aware of how much they're withdrawing. And then I think too, you're going to be able to tell what's going on inside of them often by the questions that they ask or the subjects they're talking about. And we talked about last time I was on here about anxiety, but my I always talk about it with kids like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. Like there's something they just get stuck on. So Hmm. the child will ask repetitive questions 
about one certain topic, younger ones, you know, what time are you going out? When are you going to be home? Who's going to be with me? How do I get in touch with you? Wait, where are you going? You know, just this endless loop. And even though we answer, the answers don't hold for any length of time. And with older ones, I don't think they'll be as direct. You know, everything's kind of subtle with teenagers other than their anger. And so, um, (laughs) so you're just going to hear them talk about certain themes or you're going to see a lot of anger around school. Like, I can't talk about that right now. I have too much work to do or something like that, that you can tell it feels like their emotion is bigger than the situation warrants. So if that's happening, I mean, I really did write the first books because we were seeing so much anxiety among young kids, but young girls in particular. And my hope was I was trying to put all of my, like, basically like my first six sessions with the family are in that, those books. And so the hope was try this at home. If you do some basic strategies at home and it doesn't feel like it makes any difference, then at that point you want to talk to a therapist and get more going, you know, regularly for the child to have more skills to work themselves out of it. And the great thing is it is anxiety is so treatable. And the earlier we intervene, the better chances we have of making a difference. And I think that goes to, as moms, it's really brave to say, my child is not doing okay and I need help. And I think when you get to the teenage years, what I'm seeing with just in in my little circle is it's hard to even talk about with other moms because one, it's your child's story, but you need help as the mom because you've never, maybe it's your, maybe it's your oldest, maybe you've never, you have an only, and it's like, I've never done this before is this really bad? They're saying these things. Is this normal teen angst? I remember the teen years being hard for me or kids walking through seasons of suicidal thoughts. I remember that as a teen. Mm -hmm. So does a parent, like, is that something, I don't know. I, I just want moms to be able to talk to each other or at least hear you say it's okay to get help and that it is treatable is really encouraging. Mm -hmm. Um, that it's worth, like, if you're seeing a lot of recurring anxiety or talk to me about the interplay of depression and anxiety. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as you're saying that, Heather. I mean, I think, I I mean, I absolutely would want every mom to feel like you're not alone in this because, I mean, the statistics were one in four. Now we're at one in three. And I, those, when I wrote the other two books, it was a year and a half ago. So, I mean, it has changed that quickly that we're looking at one and three. So if you say something to three friends, or I don't know, I don't know the math really, six friends, whatever, you're going to have other people who are experiencing the exact same thing. You Mm -hmm. are not alone. And as a mom, your gut is your superpower. You are so intuitive. And trust your gut on what's going on with your kids and, and have a few people that you trust a lot that you can talk to. I mean, that's definitely a piece of it is to have a small trusted few, but definitely talk about it because anxiety left untreated only gets worse. And so if we don't do anything about it, it's going to get worse. And what we're seeing, what we've always seen, but I think I'm seeing so much more in the pandemic is that it's spilling over into depression. Yeah. So what is that? Tell me, why does that happen? Why would worry and anxiety lead to depression? Well, probably for a lot of reasons. I mean, one is that I think kids feel, I mean, I started this teenage book with two things. One is you're not the only one, like we're talking about, and nothing's wrong with you. 
Yeah. Because adolescents think developmentally, just part of where they are, they think something is wrong with me. Hmm. And girls blame themselves. So it gets even worse. Boys blame other people. So you can't tell that's what they're thinking, but they are too. That's what research says. But they are thinking something is is wrong with me. Hmm. And so when they're anxious, that only festers inside of them. And then they get stuck. And so it just stays inside of their heads. And then often they're not reaching out because they think I'm the only one. They don't have their little frontal lobes developed, so they can't even reason themselves out of this. And, and the brain chemistry starts to shift at some point, which is when, you know, that's a whole nother conversation about antidepressants and when that's important. And many antidepressants treat both depression and anxiety. And there's a point that like when I see kids for, several months and it feels like the therapy is not making any difference. That's when we talk about medication. So, you know, you don't want to physically the way that their brains are working, you don't want to put their little brains at risk, the neurochemistry of their brains, but also just emotionally, I think just sitting in something like that alone, isolated, which so many of them are right now, it's just a great breeding ground for depression. And, and I think, the suicide rates are just exploding too. Kids are talking about it so much more than I've ever heard them talk about it that I think any of it, I would say right now in 2021 as a therapist, we just don't want to mess around with it. It's just too scary. The stakes are too high. And so I really do feel like if your gut is telling you something's off, then get the book or skip the book and and (laughs) go to a therapist, but get help. Or do them simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, my heart, it breaks. It breaks for the therapist. It's a lot of weight to carry for the kids, for the isolation, all of it. Um, yeah, and for the parents. I mean, we we have talked as a staff about how I've never sat with as many parents who are crying in my office as mm-hmm. I have in the last six months. It's just, you're just in a really hard season. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, this quote that you said, I think will help moms of any, I mean, this is specifically girls, but you said the girls I see who live with anxiety are some of the most hardworking, caring, intentional, kind, brilliant girls I know. Things matter to them. Everything matters to them, which can make life hard. And it can make it hard to know when or how to turn off that kind, that kind of care off. Anyway, I think that's the moms I'm talking to right now too. These are the most intentional, kind, brilliant, caring. They want to do such a great job. You're trying so hard. Yeah. And I think more parents feel like a failure now than ever before. Yeah. All those ideals are like out the window. Yes. And we're at our worst. Like we were talking about earlier. I mean, we, all of us are the worst versions of ourselves. And so, I mean, I do think it's so important to keep an eye on your kids, to be communicating, to do all the things we're talking about, but it's also equally as important to give yourself a whole lot of grace right now. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, that's all the downer. I want you all to know, (laughs) but it's really important that I don't, I think even if it's not your child and a friend comes to you to not judge that friend, to be a, also a reflective and kind listener to them that the rates are so high that this is not a parenting formula where they did something wrong. And this is why their kids responding. This is happening everywhere. This is more normal than I think we want to talk about. And, you know, as uh, talking to the church, just our response to people, I just 
really think this isn't the time to shoot a scripture back to them or burden with, um, well, if you had more faith, you wouldn't be anxious. None of that is helpful right now. That's not not true. And not true. (laughs) And not true. So what are some things that are in this book that today a mom could maybe share with her daughter or do for herself? Because really we're all teen girls inside. (laughs) Don't you feel Mm -hmm. like these moms were teen girls? I know Madeline Madeline Lingle says we're every age we've ever been, which is exactly right. It's still inside of us. And I need a mother, that teen girl in me a little bit. Mm -hmm. So what can, what can we do when we feel a little powerless to this? Mm, that's a great question because we all do. We all feel powerless in it. And so, I mean, maybe going back to that same idea of writing down things you can control is helpful and the things we can't control, knowing where to take that yeah. um, in terms of prayer. But I mean, I think in a really practical sense, what I feel like is really important, and and I think you and I may have talked about this every time that we've talked but it. <laughs> Bears repeating, but but what does happen to the brain in terms of anxiety? Because we could talk about the church again. Among the church, I think there's some hesitancy sometimes to mindfulness and words like that. Even the breathing stuff, I think we can be like, that sounds kind of hokey. But from a, a physical standpoint, when any of us get anxious, kids included, our brain chemistry shifts and the blood flow shifts away from our prefrontal cortex and it goes to the amygdala, which hijacks our brain. And so anytime we start to feel anxious, we need to start with breathing and we need to start with calming our bodies down. And there are some great apps out there. Calm app, Headspace is another one that can help. You know, Apple watches have that thing. I think I stop breathing a lot because it prompts me all the time <laughs> to breathe. Um, But anything like that, as silly as it sounds, I think we always want to start there when you feel aware. And and that's part of it, too. We need to have a really good awareness of our body. And as a mom, sometimes you don't because you're running so hard and taking care of so many people of all ages that it's easy to disconnect from what's happening inside of you emotionally. And so to have a good radar on what does it feel like when you start to get anxious and then to take some deep breaths and the next thing I tell kids is they're what are called grounding techniques, but something to get ourselves out of the loop that we're in. And, and I think as a parent to, to recognize what your loop is, because it's, it's a little bit more of a pitfall for you because a teenager, we can sit with a teenager and say, you know, okay, every time you think the world's against you, that's a good indicator. That's a loop for you. That's anxiety. That's kind of your go-to. So that means you've gone down this, path of you're not even hearing truth anymore. As a parent, often I think the primary source of anxiety is about your kids. Mm -hmm. And so something bad has happened to them or they're not okay or they're suffering or whatever it is. And then we, it's easy to perseverate on it. And it feels like you're just being a concerned parent rather than you've gone from being concerned to, I don't know, even know what the word is, stuck. No, I had this happen, yeah, Saturday night. Like, I just started down this this circle and, like, just kept looking for what was the cause and was it me? Was it external circumstances? Who could I blame? And, like, did not sleep all night because it was just cycling. And it it was definitely an attack, but it was also me, you know – feeding into it and continuing to loop on those things and fortunately saw a mentor the next morning at church 
thank mm-hmm. the Lord that our church is meeting, even if we were talking in mass and we were a little far from each other, that she could just speak truth over me and remind me and have perspective of this season of parenting teens and praying that they get in trouble, you know, like just you're releasing some of that control. I think when they're little, we think, yeah, I know I don't have control, but you do. (laughs) You're really, you really are. And then it's this slow awareness of, oh my goodness, I really don't have control and they're about to drive. And then you start projecting future things. Their child's totally fine, but you're maybe just, Maybe you're not even in that where your child has anxiety, but you're already anxious about future or experiences. And yeah, I do think it was really helpful to say that out loud to someone to stop Mm. the loop. That's what helped me. And just, she was kind and, oh, that's really hard. And it wasn't like she was like, Heather, that's stupid, you know, but also perspective giving and permission giving that I don't it's not a good mom to perseverate and blame and take ownership of things that aren't mine. You know, that's not parenting. No. And what it is, is uh, it was interesting to do the research for this book. Um, And one of the things I read a lot about is rumination. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. And rumination leads to anxiety and depression. And, Mm. and again, I think, as a parent, you ruminate about something that feels really valid. And so you're not aware that that's what's happening sometimes. But when you find yourself not being able to sleep or going back to the same idea over and over, it's the combination of it's where we go in our brains and also the enemy beating it, like you said. And so in those moments, I mean, I think that's when we want to do whatever we can to get out of the loop, whether it's a grounding thing like that five, four, three, two, one sensory, five things you see, four things you hear, three things you feel to you touch when you smell, whatever, whatever order. It doesn't matter. Um, And drawing the box. I remember you drawing the box on your leg. Breathing. Yeah. Breathing in and out. Yes. And having a verse that you go back to and you just in that moment, I think at some point we've got to let ourselves stop. We've got to stop ourselves from going down that path Yeah, and to have a verse that you go over and over and over, even if you do it 300 times, so you fall asleep whatever it is. And if you can't, if that doesn't help, get up and go do something else or read a book that has to engage your brain. But ruminating is not helpful. No, it's not. I can attest. I can can attest, y'all. Y'all are the glue that is holding your families together this past year. You're keeping track of the mask. You're making sure your family has food. You're keeping up with all the procedures. And I don't know if your people are super aware of this and loving you and supporting you and letting them, you know how much they are appreciative of it. And maybe you don't need to wait for them. I'm gonna tell you about this week's sponsor, FabFitFun, and maybe you suggest to them that you'd like to try getting a box because I'll tell you what, I haven't had them as a sponsor for a while, but when those boxes showed up, oh my lanta, I feel so cared for. I got to pick out what went in my box and I was super excited to see the different products. So you go to fabfitfun.com, you pick out one product and then you order the box. You sign up, you get eight to 10 full-size products valued at over $200. You finish picking out the rest of your items after you check out and then your box shows up. In my box, I chose the Daily Facial Dry Brush. I've never brushed my face before, but it was in my box. I chose it, and I love it. My skin, I'm telling y'all, it 
<laughs> I didn't know that brushing my face would make a difference, but I'm really loving that. Also, because of the masks, I feel like my eyes and like the exhaustion under my eyes is showing up more. So I've been using the Algenist Complete Eye Renewal Balm. I put that in my box and I'm loving that. So if you wanna go customize a winter box, go over to fabfitfun.com and use the coupon code DMA10 to get $10 off your first box. You could pick out products like a dry facial brush by Daily Concepts or the Algenist Eye Renewal Balm. Go to fabfitfun.com and use that code DMA10 to save $10 off your first box. Let me know if you do and tell me what you pick. What are some ways that we as parents or adults, um, if you work with kids that are struggling with anxiety, how can we create a security for them? Like how do we foster that? I think giving them a safe place to talk about things, especially right now. Um, And I think with teenagers, one of the hardest pieces of that is, again, that we end up trying to correct their feelings a lot. And we end up being critical in ways that we don't mean to. It's so much harder sometimes to find the good in them. And there's a lot of good. And so security is creating a safe place and also being aware of your own emotions and how those are spilling over onto them because they're they are watching way more than you have any idea. Mm -hmm. And I think again, adolescents probably get the brunt of things more because they're not giving us as much positive. We're not getting the warm and fuzzies from them. Right. Like you are your little ones. So, okay. You had kind of mentioned this, but I'm really am curious to know why is it that girls are more likely to have an anxiety disorder, but less likely to get treatment than boys? I hate that that's part of the statistics, Um, but it's definitely true. And boys, I think, are, well, two things. One is I think boys are more outward with their emotion. I mean, we see it more, and girls tend to kind of go dark. And so they either are pressing it down inside of them, and you don't see it, and they're angry with themselves for even feeling that way. Or maybe performing more. I would think like, like perfection, like they double down on that. And so it's yeah. like, oh, no, I have this amazingly, this amazing girl who's like doubling down on Ex- yes. A's yeah. and, you know, cheerleading and whatever it is. Yeah. Everything that she's anxious about just helps her look more successful to the yeah. outward world. Yeah. yeah. And, and two, I sit with a lot of parents of anxious girls who end up seeing it more as that they're being manipulative than they are anxious or they're oh, being controlling about their environment, whereas they don't have coping skills. So that's what they end up doing, hmm. you know, but I think that's part of it. And then the other thing is, I think part of it too is, I hope this is not offensive in any way, Heather, you can tell me since you're a mom <laughs> of boys, but I think moms of boys worry about them more um, to some degree. Like I think are in tune and step in quicker. Whereas I think there's some of that, we're so hard on ourselves as women. It doesn't just stop with girls that we sometimes don't give girls as much grace because we can think, Oh, they're going to figure it out. Or she needs to, I don't know, like work through this on her own. We talk to them like we talk to ourselves. Interesting. So I think that's, we don't give ourselves enough leniency to get help. So exactly. Interesting. Huh? Wow. I hadn't thought of it that way. I always like felt, you know, as a boy mom, 
when they were little, I just got stripped of so much pride, <laughs> the embarrassing behavior that it's like, I mean, uh, yeah, sure. I'll get that help. I mean, I'm whatever, but yeah, you know, I don't know. And I know there's a variety of girls and I'm sure there are girl moms that have been stripped of their pride with how their girls behave. Well, but it on, happens on the norm. Yes. I think it's a rare, you, you have girls really respond to tone of voice and they want to keep, you know, again, we're making generalizations. Yeah. I know there right. are the girls. I have nieces. I get it. But, uh, I think that there can be a messaging of like, we're doing a good job. Everything's great. And then the teen right. years come and it all unravels and it's like, Oh yeah. We reinforce some of the behavior that is yeah. really right. A concerning behavior. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Is there anything that like, I know you're doing treatment every day with families, but is there something you'd like a broader audience to know right now before we end our time? Mm, I mean, I think probably that we're going to get through this, that we're going to get on the other side of this. And, and I think there's so much that's concerning that's happening, obviously. But when we talked last time, I don't know if we talked about this, but in, did you say it was August? August of 19. Yeah. August of 19. Yeah. I mean, when I wrote Raising Worry-Free Girls and Braver, Stronger, Smarter, when I talked about John 16, 33, about in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've ever come to the world. And I was concerned because I felt like kids didn't know that in this world we were going to have trouble. And mm -hmm. I felt like we were doing them a disservice with the best day ever and living my best life. No one said that now <laughs> in quite some time yeah. or wearing those t-shirts. But I, I do feel like there was a lack of resilience that was happening. And I feel like in 20 years, when we look back at the kids growing up right now, I think there's going to be more resilience than we've seen in a long time. Yeah. Because I believe that verse, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. I think that's a promise. Yeah. And so ultimately, I think there's going to be so much good and so many, I think there's so many gifts that God is instilling in your child right now in the midst of this hard season that I think as much as we can hang on and enjoy them and build into them and love on each other in this process, I think it's going to emerge, but we're just in the hard, we're in the suffering piece of that verse right now. Well, and don't you feel like if the enemy, if I'm an enemy and I'm looking at the next generation of followers of Christ and I'm thinking, how do I keep them from being a, an adversary to me, the enemy? Mm. And you've got this generation and you're like, I can disrupt them with this. I think as moms, as part of that raising up this generation, it's to get that healing so that that no longer is a barrier to them being used by God. So if there's any motivator to get the help and the healing to push against the anxiety, because you said it is curative, that is the motivator. Your God has planned in advance purposes for your child. And more than ever, we need this generation to rise up, to hold to the gospel, to mm -hmm. believe in the Jesus who walked on this earth and who saved us and to kind of rid themselves of any extra baggage we've tried to add to that. And so- yeah. And that he's our hope. He is our hope. He is yeah. it. And so moms, this is not- <laughs> in any way, shape, or form, when your child walks through 
uh, an emotional or mental health crisis, it is not, hear me, because you did something wrong. Not at all. And at all. Parents every day for almost 30 years. And I will say it is not because you did something wrong. This is not a formula. This, yeah, this is, is a real enemy who wants to keep your child from the purposes God has for them. So we're going to push against that. And we have Sissy. We have these books. We have therapists. Are you finding that therapists are so booked that parents aren't able to get in? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think it's really hard right now to find a good therapist, but I would say just hang in there and keep trying. And if you're trying to get in with somebody right now, tell them you want to be on the cancellation list. That's always an insider scoop. Oh yeah. That's smart. Yeah. That's smart. And then when, if someone's listening, you're like, we've been doing therapy, we're deeper and it's not helping. I would say be honest with your therapist because it may be time to talk to a psychiatrist at that point or to find a new therapist, either one. Or, or a program. That just or totally removes yes. them from this situation they're in. Exactly. And yeah. that's hard and yes. brave too. Yes. Yeah. Any of those things are. Any help is brave. Any help is brave. I was talking, my son was trying to tie his shoes and he was getting super frustrated. And I said, it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> yeah. He, he just didn't want to and he was struggling. He was getting frustrated and angry. And, and then he and I had a whole conversation about, you know, why don't we ask for help and why do we keep just being frustrated in our own stuff? Anyway, so thank you, Sissy, so much. I'm going to point everyone to your books, to your, do you have your own website or are you all on RaisingBoysAndGirls.com? All on RaisingBoysAndGirls. I have my own Instagram account. We have okay. Raising Boys and Girls, but I'm doing a lot on Sissy Goff these days because I just want to help so bad. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you and we're praying and holding you up as you're holding up parents and kids. So thank you for your work. Thank you for your work and your ministry and friendship. Thanks y'all for joining Sissy and I today. I'm going to pray over us as we navigate these challenges. Lord, I thank you that you've entrusted us to parent your children. And I pray, Lord, that you would parent us as we do that. I pray that you would supernaturally fill us with wisdom to know who to talk to, how to get help, what is our responsibility and what is not ours. I pray for every parent who is burdened by their children and what they're walking through in the midst of an incredibly hard time. I pray for each of us parents who are getting to the ends of ourselves, and I pray for us to turn to you, God, for us not to succumb to discouragement, that we can come to your word and be encouraged and lifted up and reminded of truth, that we can come to you in prayer, that we can surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray for these girls. I pray for all that you have in store for them and that they would not be held back by anything the enemy attempts to put in their path. I pray for wisdom with pharmaceuticals and how to use those to help shift the brain chemistry and move forward to get the healing they need. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing that we don't see. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all. Next week, I have Tara Lee Cobble on the show. She is the author of 
the podcast um, and the book, The Bible Recap. So if you are needing a little boost to get yourself back in God's Word, I get that. I relate to that. Um, Join us back here next week. And uh, again, you all are always invited to join us over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash don't mom alone. We've got community there. Bruce and I are working through Strength Finders, or it goes by Clifton Strengths these days. Uh, And I would love to get to know you better over there. All right. Y'all have a great week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.